<coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well literally just said <coughs> first breath of air that Robbie has taken. We were just ironically speaking for, geez, that was uh, 26 minutes in a row prior to this prepping, right? Warming up, getting our minds ready, our voice. Um, and we did so much undulation of emotion and philosophy and speech that we ironically felt like we needed to have a smoke after. It was so eventful. And here we go. We start the show and Robbie's coughing. Just can't, can't contain it anymore. Yeah. It was a big, <laughs> I'm yeah. ready to go. And yeah. Getting ready for the welcome back. Um, Are we so in the 20s? Are we in the 20s for episodes yet? Yeah, this is 25. Nice. 25 silver anniversary. Is it silver? No. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's yeah, silver. Um, yeah, so it's been a few weeks since we uh we met last. I think a little bit longer than usual. Any anything new in your neck of the woods? No. Um when's when will people probably uh when will the peoples, all the all the peoples who like and listen to us uh hear this around what date? In June, maybe? Uh me, yeah, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. All right. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, I will, as you're listening to this, I will be sailing on the Spokane River, um, kayaking with my new binoculars uh, from uh, right on, R-I-T-O-N, um, sponsor for today. They don't even know it, but they are. Um, and so that's what I'm up to. I'm currently kayaking on a river in Spokane. Or if someone is listening this to this in their Neuralink in 2199, you know we have either been uploaded to the matrix or yep we <laughs> that's very ooh that's that's deep we're talking about uh beforehand conversation on uh knowledge and others knowing what our knowledge is and what our thoughts are <clears throat> so it very well could be that if you are listening to this and it's way ahead um times are times that are cool right now it's pretty cool pretty yeah. cool time to be alive yeah, that's very interesting. I cognitive strategies and cognition is is really important part of the part of the lexicon today. Physicality, not so much. And we yeah. are the, we are the physical we are the physical folks. Let's get physical should be our uh, <clears throat> opener. Tagline: <clears throat> Libby Newton John across the screen. Go from intellectual or mental to physical. Yep. We are, whenever you hear this, you know, you may hear it at different times, but we are recording this around the time that uh, Elon Musk and his company Neuralink have made it possible for a monkey to play Pong with its mind while sucking a banana smoothie through a straw. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time of putting electric cars, autonomous electric cars, one and a half miles through tunnels underneath cities. While also trying to colonize Mars. So there's that that's happening at the current time. So you could look back and find this very humorous and we appreciate that. We appreciate it. So that was, that was all surreal. Now another surreal thing that I had happened to me recently that I was gonna ask you about, people have been telling me for years to watch Every Second Counts and I had never watched it. Oh, wow. And uh, 
I was on kind of a mini break last week and I watched it and I can only, I was just thinking of the, the time difference between watching it back when like I started in CrossFit uh-huh. <clears throat> watching it now and it was surreal. It was very, it was very surreal. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> I wonder what people in the future will look back. First of all, I think about how they will actually see this media. That's up. I find that interesting, right? Like how will they actually see it? Right. Um, and then secondly, um, what will they think about what we were doing? <laughs> like I could just see people like, Ooh, turning away, you know, like what the, what the, what the, why are they taking their shirts off in the, on dirt? Why are they on dirt? Just why did they fly to the ground so many times? Why are they repeating that movement? You know, like all these, all these things. <clears throat> It reminded me of like back when I used to do uh, aggressive rollerblading, <laughs> kind of like the old school, like, you know, skate videos, like, you know what I mean? Like an alternate culture type thing, like a subculture that's kind of on the the rise and like- Like Taibo. Kind of, yeah. But like people, know, you know, Fran times and thrusters and um, <laughs> it was just, oh my gosh. Like, so I grew up in Southern California. Like I- took my dad at one point, like he worked out over at Crofts Fit Newport Beach and like seeing Brian McKenzie take John Wellborn through running drills. It was like, what the, what the, what? And then I, I had no idea that, you know, your CrossFit affiliate was like right across from your house. And it was just, it was, it was very, it was a very interesting experience watching it now. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Those I, are good times, man. Those are good times. I don't know if you have any memories or thoughts around. Oh gosh, I as I just, as I just thought about it, it there's too many, and uh, there's a rank ordering of importance of those, and I have them classified in humor versus emotion and spiritual areas. Yeah. So much, so yeah, lots of great times. Maybe <clears throat> another show dedicated, and we'll we'll tie that in. We'll link it in. And, you know, and converse on some of the things inside of there and tie it into philosophy because it, it's good. I like speaking about those times. Just so that you're aware and you're not caught off guard, um, Brandon is currently making a compilation from that of you making an ad for CrossFit. <laughs> so, like a few various things. So just so you're aware, CrossFit HQ puts out something. It's been done. <laughs> it's been done indirectly already. Um, multiple snippets just have never been gathered so good for Brandon for gathering all that yeah so under, under the table <laughs> <laughs> you could get better footage i think on the pre-games and then post-games coverage of me as an athlete like my videos with crossfit or or stuff on dot com because that's still there um, there's better there's more juicier stuff in there yeah I'll have to let him know. That's that's another inside the, inside the Kool-Aid drinking. That's in the memes. He should have like purple lips on me. So indirectly, people are like, that looks like it's from Kool-Aid. Exactly. We have to get at it before the internet deletes it forever. Like yeah. it's, it's still there. But oh, you gotta package it up. You gotta yeah. package it up. Yeah, because uh because once it does, I mean I'll just run the bandwagon of uh, never having said any of that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the monkey playing pong was surreal. Watching every second counts was, 
I don't know about equally surreal, but definitely a... Well, if you were sucking on some form of a sweet beverage, probably, <laughs> it's probably very similar in surrealness. Yes. All right, guys. So today we're going to talk about instinct or innate knowledge and fitness. So just to kind of give you a sense of like what we're what the idea is here, like how we're connecting this discussion about innate knowledge from philosophy to fitness. You know, James, you've mentioned a number of times this notion that like fitness is within us. It, it's, it's something that we are inherently um, capable of. We have, you know, to a certain extent, you know, we don't come out knowing how to back squat with a barbell, but we do have certain instincts uh, around walking or running that- Navigating. moving, crawling, jumping, lifting, you know, all those different things that we don't necessarily, I mean, we can be taught how to refine those things, but as long as we have food and water, like we're going to express those things on our own uh, without necessarily needing to be taught. So um, the questions we're going to be asking center around like what first question is like, what is that type of knowledge? What type of knowledge do we have for fitness that is more innate or instinctual or health? Um, and then what are the implications of that? That's, that's kind of the even more interesting philosophical question of like, if this is in us, does that make, you know, um, you know, does that go back to our discussion of um, coaching being like a, a temporary measure to get us back to the point where we're autonomous uh, how much is within us, how much is not. So this couplet that we have coming up, this episode is going to be primarily about what are the contributions to what we do with fitness and health that come from instinct or our innate. Uh, and then next episode, I figured we'd, we'd talk more about experience, which is obviously a huge topic in and of itself, but what are the contribution from experience? Okay. That's good to lay it out too. So we don't get too heavy and trying to work back from saying it's one or the other. So a very central question that runs throughout the history of philosophy is what's the ultimate, what is, or are the ultimate sources of knowledge uh, experience or reason slash intellect. So if you go all the way back to Plato and Aristotle, Plato famously thought that things like geometry or logic or math or I mean, it's not really theology proper at that point um, because it's a, well, I mean, depending on how you look at it, it's certainly not monotheistic theology, Um, morality, all those different things in a certain way were a type of uh, recollecting things that we already once knew. Um, Experience serves to kind of wake those things up in us, but it is not the ultimate source of that type of knowledge. Um, Aristotle, on the other hand, and obviously this is overly simplistic, there are nuances here, but, you know, famously sided with experience and was kind of the father of what is today called uh, empiricism, whereas Plato was the father of modern rationalism, where the idea is most of our knowledge comes from experience. And then we, obviously in the medieval period, there are discussions around this as well, but the, the famous I would say re-emerging of this discussion comes in the Enlightenment period with folks like Descartes, Spinoza, Leibniz, Malebranche um, being the Enlightenment rationalists in one way or another, where the idea is that at least 
a good part of our knowledge is innate or a priori and it precedes experience and experience serves to wake that up, but it's not its source. Whereas the empiricists like Locke, Barclay, Hume, and Reed um, argue that no, pretty much all our knowledge comes from experience. And then Kant, my dude, the, the guy who I studied and did my dissertation on, he's kind of the great synthesizer of, of those two and tries to combine those two. So the central philosophical question we'll be asking is, what's the ultimate source of our knowledge? Is it ultimately just all derived from experience? Sometimes if you read a philosophy text, you'll hear this referred to as a posteriori knowledge, just meaning, you know, posterior, like after one is born or something like that. Or are there certain central aspects of our knowledge of the world that either precede experience or are independent of any particular experience? And this is sometimes referred to as a priori knowledge. Now, if we connect this to the fitness example, what we're asking is, are there any aspects of our knowledge of fitness and health that are innate, instinctual, perceived experience? And if so, what are the implications of that? What are the things that we have just being humans? And then what are the things that we need to learn through culture, whether it's you know skateboarding or barbells or what have you? And then in the next episode, we'll talk more about um, experience. So I'll pause there. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you know if there's anyone that's uh, doing some philosophy on uh, the uh, like a, a separate concept of living? Um, meaning for the, I would, I would say for those who would argue the point of um, um, it would come, knowledge would come through experience. Has anyone ever just created a metaphorical hypothesis of a different, like a multi-universe or a multi-lived experience that and in that, you know, you could, you could pull out some things that look like, see, aha, it's, it's, you know, because this is the way things were put together in this other universe. Um, we see it in a different light as to how we come to know things. Has that ever been proposed or people? Um, about or? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there's, I, I mean, obviously, or like in, <clears throat> um, I was trying to think of, I apologize. I'm trying to think of, uh, I apologize for stopping your thought. There. Oh, okay. I kind of think of a stranger in a strange land, right? In the uh, how uh, that fiction uh, concept, or even uh, uh, the three body or the three body problem, uh, the the Chinese author. Um, I forget if it was three body problem. Yeah, the three body problem. Uh, they come up with these ideas that they're so hard for you as the reader, right? To, to actually think that that's how all these people gained knowledge in this, you know, idea. And, but what it does though, it, it makes you think like, well, where did knowledge come from? If, if that's the way that, that, uh, that's presented. And so, yeah, I, I just, I just thought about that as wondering if there was places we could go to kind of listen or read from people who have thought about this in a, a different idea, you know? So you're, you're thinking like, um, I guess the two things I immediately think of are one, the notion of like, um, a, a more religious side, more like a soul being reincarnated and relearning things that it had once forgot. And on the other side, more of like a modern quantum mechanical, like multiverse. Yeah. Like what were you thinking? I'm on, the, I'm on the latter form of the latter. concept. If anyone has kind of thought about that. 
you know, and uh, I'm just trying to think of the ways in which there is a whole different, you know, quote unquote, from out of Africa to an experience of humans, right? That imagine there was something, (laughs) some door switches or switches back way back that led to a completely different form of knowledge. Uh, You know, and then that could be at least a place for someone's brain to go to say, okay, that's what happened. And therefore this is where we are. And I don't even want to talk about an alternate reality. Um, I'm just thinking it could create some creativity around an option for how we gain knowledge. That's all. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank on fictional pieces that draw on that. Although I know there are tons of movies and TV shows and books, but for some reason I'm drawing a blank, but I, I mean, in philosophy, both today and especially with someone like Leibniz and, and others, this whole question of like possible versus actual worlds, what is, what is, so for, for Leibniz, for example, um, one, of, one of the interesting questions in philosophy is what things would be true across all worlds, like two plus two equals four, the truths of logic and what things would be contingent. You know, humans have, uh, five fingers. What about the world where we have six fingers or where we don't come out of Africa? You know what I mean? Like all those little, which things are contingent and which are yeah. sometimes called necessary in, in, um, in philosophy. And, uh, yeah, I, I see, I see your point there. And I think it's, <clears throat> I think it's relevant for the fitness discussion because of course the fitness knowledge we're going to be referring to, even if it is instinct, instinctual or innate, it isn't going to be like two plus two equals four. It's, it's going to be very tied to that evolutionary process yes. and in a different possible world. Yes. You know, if the evolutionary process had been different or if we, you know, evolved in the tundra first or, you know, a, yes. a jungle, you know I mean? Yes. yes our, our capabilities would be different. So I, I, I see your point there very much. Yeah. And that's all I would, yeah, that's all I'm wondering. And maybe, uh, anyways, I just wrote it down as something for me to kind of think about and look for some reading on, um, which would kind of then, you know, at least open my mind to possibilities as to where that is. Um, but no, right away, I get right to the heart of the matter of, um, you know, one thing that I consistently deal with and I'm looking for your feedback working backwards from our original question. Um, I wrote down why no things, why K and O W like why, you know, you know, who has spent time with that question? Like, why, why should we know things or why do we know things? You know, Um, any, any thoughts on that before I get into, you know, my classic move is to strip it down, take away all emotion and get to biological pieces and then like wrangle with that. But previous to that, what's your thoughts on, um, you know, I mean, I guess my first thought that's going to be relevant for our discussion today is, and we've, I think we've mentioned this on previous episodes, the distinction between knowledge, how and knowledge that. Yeah. So so like we may know how to walk, we may know how to crawl, we may know how to jump and lift things. But so to, to your question of like, why know anything really the, the implicit thing in there is why know that anything like we can't help, but know how to do certain things because otherwise we can't even get on in the world. Right. Uh, I mean, of course, there are certain things we don't need to know how to do. I don't need to know how, need to, know how to roof my house or something like that. So, I mean, right. but th- there are certain biological capacities that we need to have some sense of how to how to nurse and go to the bathroom and like just yeah. But then, uh, but then there's that deeper question of like, 
why know that yeah. uh, the yeah. earth is rotating around the sun? Like, why, why should we care about that? Or that the Egyptians existed a long time yeah. ago, the dinosaurs were wiped out. So, yeah. um, is it, does it keep going back so that we end up in some of those uh, areas, which would be uh, reasons, which would be, um, you know, a duplication of our species, uh, reproduction and evolution, you know, consistently, do we go back to those? Do you think as a, do you think some people would say that's, that, that's where you could end up? So yeah, I think, I, I think it's learned, We have learned through the, the asking that question over and over. I think it's going to be a mix of extrinsic plus intrinsic. There's going to be certain things like the invention of the wheel that help replicate our species further. And then there's going to be things like us knowing about the Egyptians and how they lived. Does that make a material difference for how we progress? Not really. Just yeah. intrinsically interesting. And yeah. um, same thing with knowing the age of the universe or you know what dinosaurs were like. Doesn't yeah. make too much of a difference for our world now, um, practically speaking, but yeah, there's going to be that in extrinsic element of like, this is worth it for some other reason, the survival of the species. And then there's going to be the intrinsic element of humans just like to know. Yeah. 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 Well, I thought about it. You were mentioning there. Um, there's some things that wasn't an Orwell that said those who, uh, I just pulled that in from something I heard the other day. Those who know the power, those who know the past and own the past or those who own the present uh can work for the past and those who own the concept of the future or the, or the past something like that anyways i was just thinking about the I, I totally screwed that one up but it the on along the lines of what you said of intrinsic versus extrinsic i guess we have to factor in there what we consider to be a really great you know valuable existence you know, we have to create some ideas what that is. And so to your point, wheel allowed us to reproduce and well, um, what's our definition of making that better? You know, was it, you know, was getting across land, making it better for the whole, you know, um, and the same arguments can be made for medication and, and uh, refrigeration, et cetera. Um, I just want to make mention that I think understanding what a really good, you know, definition is of a of a really valued life valuable life or a really good life quote unquote needs to come inside of that as well right uh, anyways that's just that's my thoughts on that um yeah. sorry and I, think, I think i think across traditions and you know times and places that something that bubbles up is eventually once you have those basics that are necessary for survival and like reproducing and having a family and stuff like that it is the pursuit of intrinsically interesting things that aren't necessary for re reproduction of the species, whether it's, you know, music or art or philosophy or, um, it, it's interesting that those higher order things generally very much aren't necessary for survival. And in fact, are, if anything, detracting from the things that sometimes are necessary, you know what I mean? They kind yeah. of pull the other direction. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That makes me think a lot there. Um, but it does lead into this point today or the conversation because, um, you know, and I keep, I keep thinking this way. It doesn't mean this is where, we, where anyone should go, but this is the way I look about it. It's like just recognizing that, you know, what we know and what we do and how we live today, and we'll put fitness inside of that just for our conversation from 
let's say from 1974, my existence um, till now, right? I just keep thinking, you know, what did we know? What do we, what do we know, you know, as a whole from 1974 to now based upon how things are operating versus like, you know, eight, 867 or eight, 874 <laughs> to nine, 921 uh, AD, right? Like <laughs> I know the giggle on that, but there's, you know, there's just so much, there's just so much difference. It, it doesn't, you know, and I guess weighing out like what is a what is a life till forty eight years of age then, and what did you know, and what's your perception of what you know, and how much you know, <laughs> relative to and and what similarities are inside of that, which I think does tie into the fitness point, is that you know in eight seventy four I would have still had five fingers, you know, and when I was born I still would have had to try to figure out how to go from the ground to standing um, and grasping things and getting across land and then eventually helping out those around me so that I could, you know, feed myself eventually over time, have a roof overhead, et cetera. So within inside of that is a, is a physical thing that is pretty similar to the same thing today from 1974 to 2020. So there's some of the pieces inside. I'm not sure if it helps our conversation on the knowledge of, but those are where I, I strip down. I strip it down and I could go further back, right? Oh, yeah. Back in time. And it allows us then to sit to then jam on saying with regards to fitness, well, did I know that previously, right? Did I know that? Or was that just something that from our original existence over millions of years of this practice of hominids, did we just have this inside, you know, um, innate of, you know, coming out, um, being taken care of uh, and nurtured, um, and then eventually slowly breaking that gap from the nurturing to the navigation. And that is all a physical process that, you know, I, I guess I'm still stuck on it, a physical process Whereas, and that's this, I was thinking, I don't know if it would be in a whole different universe, in a whole different concept of universe. I'm having a hard time seeing how it would be any different of us just uh, from that, you know, developmental stages, like not having that deeply embedded thing of movement. And the reason why I'm sticking on that is that I'm, I'm tagging movement inside of fitness, you know, like I, I'm not thinking globo gym, bicep curl, Arnold Schwarzenegger right here. I'm thinking movement and physicality is the base support of that. And, um, I think that's been learned over millions of years of this navigation from going from the ground to standing and doing these physical things and just how we express that physicality has changed right, has changed, but there's still those basic things that are there. Um, because we're so tied, I think, strongly to, to physical matter and, uh, and biology, you know? Yeah, I mean, at one point, it was all learned in one sense. But then as the species developed, it became kind of a program that, you know, yeah, right, in an in instinct, uh, in all human beings, um, 
that made me think of a, I'll, I'll have to see if I can find it and send it to you. A super interesting article in in uh, a ma online magazine called Quanta that does different things on physics and biology and math. But anyway, they were talking with someone who I believe he's an evolutionary biologist and talking about like what should we expect aliens to be like. And you know so he was joking. Well, like when you watch Star Trek or Star Wars, you're always wondering like why the hell do these aliens look like us? Of course they're going to be like different in some way. It's just like, we want it to look like a human. But then he goes on and he talks about how, no, a lot of this is gonna come down to physics. Like we should expect things that have to navigate through like gaseous substances are gonna have to have wings and things that move along the ground are gonna need to have some type of locomotion and things that you know move through liquids. Um, so that's all just by way of like going back to that point that you were bringing up that I think is a good one of like, yes, you know, the whole evolutionary story could have been, you know, could add a different starting point or different, you know, environmental conditions or what have you. Um, but there might be certain fundamental things that are just unique to biological biological organisms that, you know, need to stand and walk in, in such a way and th things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that. Uh, and I like what you said earlier too, of I uh, forget how you framed it of the um like would two plus two equal four in a different universe i think that's a really great way of thinking about uh the quandary that i have of would those things be the same in a whole different context and i do pull that over then to the physical functioning um and uh and reproduction and uh creation of another human and then how do you you know assuming that we do want those humans to survive and move on and assuming we do want uh, to, to procreate, you know, and to keep doing that, then I would assume, yeah, to your point that it's probably, it's probably in there because of all that, <laughs> that stretch time. But I think another interesting point inside of that though, too, I thought about, I was just more recently listening to Robert Sapolsky talk about this in uh indirectly was a part of uh, aggression and uh, how we behave in aggression and where that comes from. And the way that he, he lays it out is just beautiful. Um, but it made me think about uh, that, that intricate point of, you know, was it like, you know, the, the common thing that we're still not really sure about yet, was it fire um, and, uh, and, and other things around that period of time that like led to brain you know, in the story of brain evolution, right? And, uh, and I think that has a, an interesting part of the story, right? Like our cognitive repertoires and how strong, you know, relatively that cognitive ability has gotten over a really, really long period of time, you know? And, uh, but I think there was not, there wasn't a quick shift like December 1st, <laughs> whenever. Um, but there was this interesting shift based upon whether it was fire and tools and other things that allowed us to um, navigate, quote unquote, better, you know, and that could also have been timed uh, effectively with the navigation better of uh, what we did as a child growing up. And again, physicality, right? What do we do physically? And you can just imagine the, the generations and the millions of years, you know, millions, not like, 60 years but millions of years 
I think there's something built in there from that, you know, switch in brain development um, that's tied into the physical as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then it, you know, it informs the capabilities that we have today. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So uh, that's my original thoughts on, uh, on the starting points of the definitions. Okay. So two quick important notes up front before we, we, talk about sort of a priori knowledge and the mentions of the fitness discussion. So we'll almost certainly do a couplet at some point on biology and culture that, that, you know, and so that obviously overlaps with what we're talking about today, but I think there's a whole slew of separate discussions there, nature versus nurture, same type thing. Uh, another one I just thought about as we were discussing this and going back to the Neuralink, like, I think this would be a great one for an episode, given all that technology is doing, like how, how intrinsically important is our physicality to who we are as humans, right? So, you know, if the uh, Yuval note uh, Hariri quote, you know, is to be believed, like, you know, we're going to be uploading ourselves to the matrix or whatever's supposed to come in the future. And, uh, you know, does that strip us of a essential element of who we are? You know, you know what I mean? Just that, yeah. just that discussion around like how closely tied is being human to being a physical being that can walk and talk and move and do all these different things. So, yeah. So that was note one. And then note two is for the purposes of this episode, I'm taking a priori instinctual innate as to mean roughly the same thing. They're not exactly the same thing, but the, the connection I'm drawing between philosophy and fitness for this episode is I'm tr we're trying to suss out in this episode, what sort of things are contributed and do we have in us essentially when we are born and what things that we'll discuss in the next episode, <clears throat> do we need to learn from experience? And then the deeper philosophical question about like, what are the implications of that? If we do have these things in us, if we do have this knowledge of how to do certain physical things when we are born, what implications does that have for the practice of fitness? So. Yeah. Well, I went back to also uh, Harari's point. Uh, and it does tie in a little bit to, to that is, um, or actually, I think we met, we may have mentioned that uh, off line prior to her conversation of um these are, these are not physical times, you know, that's a, just take a real generalized picture of, you know, 1645. Well, I guess actually I got to be very, a lot better clear my history on that. Uh, but there were times in past where physicality wasn't even known as a, as a thing, but people were physical. And we could say maybe, I'm not sure if your point, if you can remember this one to come back and we could even hit on this and it could be, you know, sub, sub, sub importance, but you may be able to know maybe pre-enlightenment um, could have been a time where there was this balance of physical and cognition. If there was just two things, right? Just two areas of a generalized, you know, and then from that point on industrialization, technology, machines, um, agriculture, you know, et cetera, um, you know, I think that the physicality component is less and less ironically. And, um, I say it's ironically because it's an adaptation, 
right? We are adapting to making things easier for us. And so as this adaptation, you know, you can just see where physicality is starting to fit in here, right? To your point of what Harari said, you know, I, I ask some of the big points on that now too, even though it may not even be in my lifetime, my existence to actually experience this concept or that concept. Um, notwithstanding that I really do think that he's onto something in terms of what the future may look like for that, just based upon current times. Um, what does happen to those, let's call it natural human physical processes? You know, what does happen? You know, I think about really simple things like um, communication and touch and visceral reaction with another human, right? And tied into that is intimacy. And tied into that is, is, uh, is love and tenderness and what can lead into, of course, areas of, of um, sex and reproduction, right? So if that even on smaller and smaller percentage becomes larger and larger percentages of not being in existence because a lot majority of the time is focused on the cognitive strengthening, where, you know, are we just basically you know, doing that small time in reproduction in order to just propagate so those other people can get hooked up to VR sets, you know, for what's considered an experience. I have a, have a hard time like dealing with that. But the reason why I think that's important and what, where my brain went to on it is that the physical experience is, um, is real deeply tied into, um, I think, you know, yeah, our current understanding of what we know and how we know. I just, I just think it's, it's just such a, I just see it moving further and further away. And sorry, I went, I went off track and I'm not even re recalling where we were going on the point, but the physical, I just stopped at the physical, physical future aspect thing that I can't get, just can't, can't get past. No, that's okay. I think you were talking about like, the, you know, is there a time where like the physical was balanced with the cognitive before? Yeah things went awry. I mean, a question I, you know, always ask and, um, uh, you know, Jared, Jared Diamond and others have written about this is like, was agriculture the inflection point, right? Like we had essentially, and if there are any evolutionary biologists out there listening and I'm butchering the history, please let me know. But essentially there was some sort of homeostasis before agriculture, right? There's some homeostasis, humans had some rough homeostasis with the surrounding environment, with animals, things like that. And then agriculture comes along and, you know, gives birth to a lot of different things that end up being seemingly good things, culture and, you know, the written word and literature and philosophy and art and music, a lot of not so great things too. But like ever since that point, 10,000 years ago, roughly 10,000 years ago, we've been on a course that's not really taking us very far away from homeostasis and physicality so yeah. was that the um and the inflection point that just kind of took things in a different direction yeah thank you for that um because uh yeah that's why i can't land on it but yours makes definitely more sense um and i just purchased those three big ones collapse uh, upheaval and uh, guns germs and steel <laughs> that i have probably it's going to take 12 months to get through uh so i can get more information to add to that but i'm glad you're thinking about it the same way it's uh it's, um, yeah, it, it does. And the, the reason why this is important to this is, uh, this is why this conversation today, Robbie is still, it's still a question, right? We, we are actually questioning this. The fact we are questioning this 
is super interesting, <laughs> but that's why we're questioning it because we just, we see physicality all the time and we, and we, and we practice it more so, and we honor it and kind of play with it and we're digging deeper in it yet. <laughs> yet we see that, that we're, we're like forcefully constructing it now, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you got to do it. Well, why do I got to do it? <laughs> There's, you know, I have Amazon, I have wheels, I have, <laughs> I have this chair, you know, <laughs> I have toilet seats with pads <laughs> and carpet in bathroom. Like things are really, what's well, weird, but things are really comfortable, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and so that's why this is important. You know, this is an important question um, of how did this knowledge come to be and what we do within fitness and it should make sense that it, it seems like super simple, but it's not super simple. If you don't look at that historical context of physicality and its importance in our existence and where it sits now, right? And I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's important. Yeah, and I think going back to what we were saying, you know, earlier with uh, Plato talking about knowledge being a type of recollection, you know, Socrates famously said that he was a, uh, a midwife to knowledge and you can almost think of coaches or what we're trying to do is like people have essentially forgotten what is within them yeah and yeah. Uh, so you know part of what we're going to be doing in this episode is talk about like well what is actually within us yeah fitness wise and then what are the implications of that like you need to realize this is actually within you and you have the ability to do this and to express these things and um yeah so. yeah i think uh yeah, there's, you can, and if we're, I think it's probably, it's a good attempt today, but uh, as I think it's always marred or colored by therapeutic, you know, ideas, right? So let's take the DNS concept, uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, I think is the, the terminology for it, um, specific protocols, and they tie in young person development and observing that that has happened like billions of times <laughs> uh, i think it's a hundred hundred million no sorry i forget what the number is of how many lives names we've been through uh, as an as an example um it's happened a lot right and so if it's happened a lot and it's just been over and over and like you know there's not this massive big like do you, do you roll over? Do you get that? Do you get that? You know, it's not this, it's just like, it's just happening, right? Like belly, you know, up to prone, push up to prone position, get that leg in, flip over, you know, grasping things, learn how to get to the other side, crawl, crawling into a lunge, standing up, holding on to things, standing, you know, you just heard that very short interlude experience there, right? Um, but that's been, that's been duplicated. And this is to drive this point you were just saying of like what's innate inside of there. Um, I think it's some of those patterns, right? Like, yeah. you know, our, our hip can't go in some directions, right? And so it's a good question to ask, well, why can't it go in that direction? It's like, well, I don't, I'm not sure. But uh, in, in a lot of cases, it allows us to get down to the ground and pick something up and then stand back up with it. Um, and then we do have metabolic things inside of us that we have no control over. They just operate that allow us to like pick that thing up that we did and carry it for a certain distance without like falling over 
or, <laughs> or gassing out and not being able to hang on to it. So inside of that, there's like locomotion, right? Our legs are moving back and forth. We're rotating in order to ba basically make that happen. Um, our arms can go in multiple different areas. Our, you know, our fingers can grasp things like to be able to hold on to things is phenomenal. Like this is so, so unbelievable, right? And if you don't know how unbelievable it is, talk to someone, which I have, I've trained with individuals who've lost a finger or have had a full finger removal or et cetera, and just talk to them about their experience and grasping things, right? It's a different thing. So um, just saying like some of those things are, uh, we have probably just over time uh, lost sight of um, in terms of practice. And this is why we try to tie it into CCP of what we call patterns, right? Patterns of bending and squatting and lunging and pushing and pulling in core because it allows a nice framework for coaches to teach these, let's call it primal patterns, right? Um, and I think those do come from uh, our you know, our knowledge over time that we've gained, uh, like these are the things that we can do. So I'm not sure where that lands us for the, uh, the innate biological movement pieces that are in there that uh, we know, we now know. No, I think, I mean, it's, I think it's a great start and it's just a, it's a indication that there's a whole slew of things that we know how to do without knowing anything about how we are able to do it just you know what i mean like yes. so so yeah. a, a baby knows instinctively knows how to do these things and you know obviously its parents can help it refine it and things like that but if a baby were to be you know somehow find its means of survival independently of other humans and not be taught anything like it would learn how to do all these different positions um, and there is lots of data to show this for those who are interested you'd have to read through and scrape through a lot of it but um when there's opportunity for movement but there is an obvious what they would consider a measured lack of nurturing emotional components etc you you still you don't have a lack of physical competency happen just because of that so your your question that you were you were asking there is a good one and it's it's interesting to say well where is there evidence to show that if a human didn't have quote unquote guidance or the ability somehow to like operate under these things, no, it still does occur rolling over, turning on back, like, like this will occur, right? Unless of course there's, <laughs> you got some Skinner box thing going on when you, you <laughs> swaddle them till they're three or something. I don't know. I was just trying to think of this stupid fatalistic version of it for studying purposes. Um, but they will still gain physical repertoires. This is, this is the, yet, yet, let's say, uh, um, I'm trying to find the words that sit more softly with this, but uh, a child is uh, probably not treated with nurture and care. There's definitely some cognitive and psychological repertoires they lack due to that. So there's something around this physical uh, thing that's in place that even if it's taken away from the signaling and role modeling, whatever, they will eventually end up standing up, walking across land, grasping things, etc. Whereas over here in the cognitive realm, if it's not taken care of some form of signaling, role modeling, nurturing, conditioning, whatever we want to call it, there is some uh, repercussions of that in competencies. So that's one of the areas where 
is is strength strength for this concept of like it's just in us you know we'll learn to you know grasp it etc and i think the bigger questions what we talked about previously well why is that in us you know yeah. um, i think it's some of the basic things you know learning how to take care of oneself feel oneself realize what this is and then see that you want to turn yourself into others around you you know and it's like oh i guess that's a good thing <laughs> we need more of us around you know yeah and i, th- I mean I've, obviously everyone you know is aware of the fictional example of tar- tarzan of course but i mean <laughs> you know real real world examples make a difference <laughs> here and uh yeah but it's a good one yeah i mean i i think everyone recognizes the extent to which this is a <clears throat> instinctive drive within us. And again, it's something that we know how to do, but without in, until later, without knowing the means by which we, we don't have cognitive knowledge necessarily of, you know, the mechanism behind how we're able to do it, but we know how to do it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's just, yep. And I just think it's so hard even for maybe a lot of people listening in to comprehend why this is important because they just look outside of this call and see fitness, like as to how we language fitness. And it's, it's hard to connect those, you know, it's just hard to connect it as it being anything, anything important at all. Cause as I said, it's like, it's just embedded that physical, this is why I always go back to the intentions around that physicality. Right. Um, and understanding sure it is folly. Um, but you can put some kind of, you know, intention inside of that, you know, and that how I tie that in, which makes it like uh, collective is uh, patterns, right? We all have, and as a, I'm just using averages here, we have five fingers, right? We have opposing digit, you know, arms are a lot of us can locomote, you know, like, so what brings us all together? These patterns, we can observe and do them, you know, um, the why behind doing them, <laughs> this is, this is the whole, probably a, a different thing. So, um, yeah, so I think we're, I'm well, I'm landing on, um, it, it being there because of the biological, uh, underpinnings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and it's, it's definitely going to be different from like what's standardly termed a priori knowledge, but it's, it's still an interesting connection to the philosophical thing because it, um, I think it also, it's also going to bear on the what is fitness question because a lot of what people think of today as fitness is stuff that yeah. one needs to, well, needs to <laughs> learn, you know, orange theory or cross-country skiing or whatever, whereas there's this whole slew of things that we innately know how to do that um, we don't as readily think of as fitness today and you know, I think one of your central theses is that all that stuff over here, like, you know, it, it's, it's its own thing, but there, there's a whole slew of things that we can do on our own. We don't, we, uh, there's a whole lot of fitness in us that doesn't need that extra stuff on top. Yeah. I like, my, just, I like how you're soft over there. <laughs> that was my most diplomatic way of saying it. Diversion tactic. This, this is a gigantic pile of shit over here. <laughs> So, um, so just to give people an idea of kind of the philosophy stuff behind this and how this connects to fitness, I wanted to talk about like, so an interesting question, philosophical question you might ask is like, what would it even mean to have knowledge that precedes experience or is independent of experience? Like, how would that even work? 
Um, you know, at first glance, it seems like all our knowledge of the world comes from experience. You know, the fact that dogs have fur that feels soft or that water quenches thirst or that a flame causes burns, those all need to be learned via, via experience. But as many philosophers have pointed out, there's a whole slew of things that seem to go beyond experience that, that can't either can't be learned from experience or that are necessary for the possibility of experience. So for example, logic, um, this is a famous one that the overwhelming majority of philosophers think that logic applies across all possible worlds. You know, it, it's, it's the rare philosopher who would argue that this is contingent to, you know, earth and humans and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So things like something cannot both be and not be something at the same time. Um, or if A, then B, A, therefore B, if it's raining, the ground is wet, it's raining, therefore the ground is wet. An alien civilization would understand something like this, mm -hmm. hypothetically. Um, math seems to be something that applies to reality, but we don't, we don't, we get confirmation of what we know about math from reality, but math does not derive its truth from me adding two stones to each other. Like I, mathematicians are able to derive truths about math that then end up being true in the world, but we don't learn about math and mathematical truths the same way we learn that, you know, gravitation has such and such force on the moon versus the earth and things like that. Yeah. Um, geometry, you know, famously Euclid was able to derive all these truths about what a triangle should be and, you know, a square, um, things like that. Theology, those are not things that we encounter in everyday life. Um, morality, the world teaches us is and not ought. So all these things thus far seem like things that you can't quite get just from experience. Um, and then two famous modern examples. Uh, so Noam Chomsky, some people may know him uh, politically in one realm, but he, he was a, a very famous um, linguist, right? Yeah, linguist. Yeah. Um, I was going to say psychologist, but that that's uh, he's classified in there somewhere, some ways. Yeah. too. So he basically argued, he made a famous argument that children can't learn language just from what they hear from experience. There needs to be some universal grammar in the brain that precedes experience um, because there's what he calls a poverty of the stimulus, meaning that you, you could not glean the richness of our language just from what kids hear from their parents. There needs to be an apparatus up here that helps us interpret and decode that stuff. So, you know, a famous example that he uses is we would never hear the phrase, I founded my toy if we learned language just from experience, right? It, there's, there's this apparatus up here that's necessary for the possibility of um, language. Is this similar in the uh, patterns thing that I was talking about? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's, I think it's related. It's, you know, there, I think in, in fitness, there are, you know, certain patterns that we have um, access to primarily, and they can obviously have different permutations, just like in a language, there are different accents or dialects or different things like that, that we learn from our parents. But um, there's certain base things that we have access to just insofar as we're human. 
Yeah. And just because there's a shit ton of parents not teaching their kids about patterns doesn't mean that it's not inside of every child to be able to perform. Yeah. And I mean, I, I literally just thought of this just as you were saying that, but the pat the movement patterns are even more deeply embedded than the language. Like we think of language being this, you know, central thing to who we are, but languages, I, I don't know the exact dates on this, but I, I know for a fact it is far younger than yeah. the movement patterns. Yeah. Yeah. No, Harari uh, did this with it. You can't see me what he did. He like touched on it and, and clarified that in uh, Sapiens um, around that um, and put those things, what he called communication. Um, and it was definitely uh, after um, the whole movement process and pre like strong communication and language. Um, it made a really good case though for, this is outside of this, but we'll continue on. Uh, for when language did occur, that was also a real major shift in, uh, in brain development. And, and um, you know, you can just imagine everything thereafter, <laughs> currency, agriculture, and all those things. Yeah. And it, it, it does have another interesting connection to what we're talking about with fitness in the sense that like, it is dependent on a certain biology, vocal cords, the ability to project, things like that. Um, it initially was a matter of experience and learning and trial and trial and error, like making certain vocalizations. And then now we all have this universal grammar within us, but initially, of course we didn't. And similar thing with the movement patterns, I'm sure for a long part of our evolutionary history, just like, you know, the first um, fish that came up on land, there's a whole bunch of like trial and error and don't quite get it. And then they reach the right program. And then that replicates itself and gets more and more successful. Yep. Yep. And then uh, we were all just howling at the moon for a long period of time. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we recognized that when we started eating those who were howling at the moon, <laughs> we could speak more clearly, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> the sharing of uh, sounds, if we actually consume <laughs> uh, with this fire thing, light, you know, ah, and all of a sudden it's like now it's called fire <laughs> is a Saturday, remember Saturday night live skit like was it uh oh, God. oh yeah yeah the uh it was uh, Phil Hartman I want to say yes caveman yeah <laughs> so good anyways let's not go down that hole but uh yeah that's yeah probably had something tied into there with the with the good fats and meat and brain development and language tools yeah but ho hopefully people are starting to see, like, especially with that language one, um, we, we don't just learn everything from experience. Like there are certain things uh, that are necessary for the possibility of experience. And, and Kant, the guy who I studied, uh, who's kind of a progenitor of modern day cognitive psychology, um, was, was very famous for arguing for this. He, you know, whereas Chomsky argues for the notion of a poverty of the stimulus, Kant in a certain way argues that there's too much, there's too many stimuli coming from the world. Like literally the world is buzzing with stimuli. And unless your brain could like quiet these other things and like synthesize things together, you could not have experience. We couldn't hear a mel melody um, unless we had kind of this unified consciousness that could connect one note to the next, or we couldn't count to five unless we remembered, oh, previously I counted to two and three and four. So 
all these things are all just by way of saying, if you think all of our knowledge just comes from experience, there's a whole bunch of it that comes from experience. Absolutely. But there are certain elements to our knowledge that um, there are certain cognitive capacities that we require for even the possibility of experience without which we could not even get on in the world. And yes. um, this definitely has a tie into fitness, I think. So. Yeah, I think a wonderful, wonderful part of Khan's story too is that with the current technology and MRI studies and genetic profiling, et cetera, today, not just to use those two, but um, what would be dates that Kant came up with this? Just as give. Uh, so his life was 1724 to 1804. Okay, so folks, this is 200 years ago. You know, and Kant could, with thoughts and and pen and paper, come up with these ideas that are showing to be true with the technology we have available today, even to the point of stimulation, right? He posited this without having any evidence scientifically to prove that, right? And now what do we see with evidence of that? Yeah, we hook people up, we give them, you know, things that are going on, and we have these, uh, this, uh, medicalized opportunity and uh i should say medicalized but i'm really meaning a scientific opportunity to have some uh way of actually knowing objectively how many pieces of information are coming at us like we can measure this right <laughs> now and so i just wanted to make that point that and and that that may just add to the story of uh this uh you know Kant's point you know it strengthened because of what he just observed and and uh, and uh, really couldn't be proven truly, but now two hundred years later, it's like it's classically done all the time. I just think that's wonderful. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's you know I, I yeah I, it's amazing. It's similar to Newton, it's similar yeah. to you know pen and pen and paper. Well, yeah. and just and how thinking. many times how many times has that been repeated? You know, in studies, that's like. Eh. <laughs> Like what, 36,000 times over and over? It's like, yep, it's true. <laughs> yep, it's true. You know, yeah, it's, uh, anyways, I just, sorry, sort of go off on that one, but that's a, oh, uh, right. that's wonderful right. because, uh, well, I guess it does tie in here in that some of those things that uh, uh, these mentors really uh, of ours have said on uh, how we gain that knowledge. And, um, and that's a key point for fitness and how we gain knowledge on fitness, right? And a lot of it because of its physical experience and biological underpinnings, it's a, uh, it's there, there for the taking. Yeah. You know, there for the, there for the expression. Yeah. And I think expression may tie in that word be between a priori and, and uh, next episode of uh, experience, I think, because expression is, is that middle zone of like, well, you know, you got this, you got this and you had it. You've always had it. Now that you're aware of it, what do you do? What do you do? Right. Right. And, uh, I think we've been going reverse backwards. It's like, we've been, I will, I have been expressing myself physically for a long period of time. And then of course it just bubbles up to this, like, geez, uh, you know, how much do I really need to know to express this? You know? Um, and now we're just working backwards. I think the expression aspect is, is, is really cool as well. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting, the connection with uh, Kant, you know, Kant talks about how we have 
um, certain a priori concepts that require um, an experiential component to kind of be activated. It, it just, it made me think of this, this notion of you can have people who innately have the knowledge of how to like walk, run, squat, jump, and they have not expressed it, but it's still in them. And then the people who like, they have instantiated these things. This is, this is what brings you and I together. This is the, this is the crux, right? It's like, it's, we, we, we're all agreeing upon, we know it's there. Uh, but now we're doing all this, all this madness experience in order to come back on some of these basics of like, it's there. So how do we use what's there? You know, I think that's what is interesting about it. You want to ask the really hard questions about it. And with my experience in it, we both know there's something there that needs to be discussed. And hence what brings us to this moment and this time and this, this uh, topic. Exactly. Interesting little historical side note in relation to this. Uh, I don't know how many things Kant lifted. Do you even lift Kant? You even lift bro? Uh, but he is famous in biographies for taking daily walks. Uh, like that, that was like people famously in Konigsberg, they would time their clocks or watches or whatever, whatever was the timepiece back then, according to his, uh, his walk. So he was regularly engaged in fitness activity. Yeah. Uh, well, for another time, my friend, uh, I, I love, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. I think it's not uh, uh, people in fitness or thinkers in fitness don't, don't put enough time into this is to discuss the truths in the physical experience of those great thinkers. And uh, some of the stuff that uh, is generally not unfolded. It's always the classic, you know, well, Einstein smoked whatever three times a day or drank, you know, it's like, that's just generally where everyone goes. But um, I love also discussing some of the things no one talked about uh, of the physical experiences of these people. Because uh, I have numerous stories, uh, not just uh, I did hear about uh, that story about Kant, uh, ironically. Um, and uh, anyways, another time we'll discuss that because I think that's important of uh, what people just considered. They just said, oh, it was a meditative practice or, you know, I just did my day to day. You know, I just do my day to day. It's like, what was your day to day? Oh, I just tended to animals and like lifted these things. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> how come you didn't mention that? You know, and the reason why we didn't mention it is because, uh, uh, as I said previous times, the physicality was just something that was required to, I think, raise cognitive potential. And they didn't even recognize the physicality aspect of it that was allowing them to express themselves cognitively at such a high level. That's my thoughts and range, you know. And so I think it's important to, uh, to discuss this on podcasts and write books about it and have these discussions. Because I think it's uh, taken for granted that, you know, they were just this classic sit in a chair and the brain just operated like, you know, and building range through that. It's like, no, no, there was a lot of rest, a lot of natural processes, uh, a lot of physicality, you know, underpinnings inside of it that allowed them to have that range, you know, so. Anyway. Yeah, agreed. Another time, but that's a good one. Um, okay, so we've, we've talked a bit about you know, what sort of health slash fitness style, well, really fitness knowledge that we possess this, this knowledge, how of like what walk, squat, run, jump, lift, crawl, you know, these, these movement patterns, 
Um, to me, the, the interesting other philosophical questions that we can ask here, and I'm curious to see if you have any others, but the main one is, what is the implication of this fact? We have this within us. And I, I think this, you know, the reason I'm bringing this up as something for us to discuss is I think this touches on one of the main things that you've been touching on as we've been going through this. And obviously in, o, in OPEC CCP and things like that is, you know, what are the implications of the fact that we have this knowledge of how to move in this way um, for the practice of fitness? Yeah. Are these move, another question that's related to that is, are these movement patterns sufficient, entirely sufficient for the practice of fitness? Do we just need to be doing bodyweight stuff or, you know, there's some basic lifting or are they just necessary, but not sufficient? So um, I guess I'll open things up there and see what do you think the implications are of the fact that we have this stuff within us for the practice of fitness today? Yeah, I think I like your final word today. <laughs> um, the, the, the application of said knowledge, um, I think, is a really strong thing we need to push into, um, like really push into. Um, and you're going to arrive at what I think this really nice argument in your own mind of like, what is my intentions of doing the push up? You know, as meaning, am I doing the push-up because it's going to lead to six-pack abs? Or am I doing the push-up because I have just discovered that I can do a push-up and it was inside of me all along to do a push-up? And so I think that now that we know we have these things currently to today, I think our biggest, um, I'd say generally the public's biggest thing is to continue to grow knowledge of these implicit things, these things that are inside of us, just to grow knowledge about that. And so, um, and I, maybe I'm just saying it in a different way that I've said now for 24 episodes, right? I think it, it does, it's a, we got to push people to the idea that this is a, this is a, you know, it becomes an aha moment right away. It's like this stuff's inside of you. Do you know that you can do all these patterns and what are we going to do about it? Right. Are we going to lean into those patterns because we can do them? Yes. Why? Why? Uh, because they're within you. Not because we're going to do it to get this outcome. It's because they're within you. So my, I hope I made my point on just using the push as example. We want to do push-ups not to get six-pack abs or bigger biceps to reproduce. We want to get, you know, to do push-ups because we can all push. You know, because like in my language, I say, because we are able, we are capable, we, we can do those movements. So I think that's the, uh, I would say for today, that's the biggest uh, area of, uh, of struggle and strife and is to, is, to, <laughs> is to just get on with the fact that we can all do these patterns and then just put it into play that allows people to enjoy it, but also to embed those correct intentions with the practicing of those patterns, you know, um, and where you're going to come up against, which we always do is a quick realization that it actually doesn't have transfer 
to your life, to most of your life, right? This is the, this is the, this is the challenging thing, right? We're not all firemen, you know? So when we're doing those, you know, when the questions are inside of it should be, oh, I'm just doing this because I'm capable of doing pushing the movement and it just helps me grow my mind. That's why I'm doing it. Oh, I thought it was functional to help you if you fall out of your chair and land and catch yourself and then quickly get up, get back up. Is like, how many times that happened to 7.8 billion people, right? I, I got to come up with more humorous examples, but. Um, Doing the muscle up through the window. <laughs> Yeah, we're all nefarious deep down. <laughs> Why are you going inside of a window? <laughs> Does a person know you're opening up the window? Yeah. Uh, Wait, what? But you get my point on the, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's there. And uh, I think that's our big, that's, the, that's our big issue for today. Yeah. Just getting, just getting on with it. Like we have these patterns. They're well accepted. They're known. The books have been written on it. Um, meaning, you know, not books, but as a metaphorical. Um, concept of that you know there's been 100 million books written on that of what people are uh, capable of doing in patterns it's just that there has to be some intentions inside it of you doing it simply because it is a innate thing okay so follow-up question on that mm -hmm. you know going back to our discussion of necessary versus sufficient yeah um do you think the movement patterns, the, do you think the elements of fitness that we have innate within us are entirely sufficient for the practice of fitness, meaning that that's all you need and you don't need anything else? Or do you think they are necessary, but not sufficient, meaning that you would need to learn, you know, basic barbell stuff or whatever else you want to put in the experiential category? Yeah, no, they're, uh, I think, I think the classic, uh, you know, walking in the sun and lifting rocks um, I think that's, you can get all the patterns, all the concepts, and we can philosophically talk about, well, how do you develop, you know, those patterns in that? Um, so I think that I'm not sure what my answer is there, but I think it's, uh, we have all those patterns that are uh, sufficient to operate inside of a physical universe. That's enough. I think, I think I land there. Am I correct on that? I think. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So basically yeah. you're saying that like all, all these leg presses to become <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, what is, is, I mean, you know, even aside from the, I guess the, the silly ones that we mentioned today, do you think there's anything that, and we'll, we'll touch on this next time too. Like, is there anything that a human needs to learn from experience like any specific new movement or something like that, they don't already have innately within them that they need to learn for the practice of fitness. It's, it seems to me that you're saying no basic. I mean, obviously when, when someone goes about, you know, their existence, they refine things like, Oh, I, I learned how to lift that better. I learned how to walk better and things like that. But those, those are just refinements of things that are already within us, Yeah. but you're saying we, we don't, you know, there's nothing with regard to dumbbell curls or thrusters. No. Yeah. no. And I'm really, <laughs> I get emotional on this one because so many people want to sell the concept of what I call the therapeutic paradigm to that. And it seeps inside of that conversation. Um, it's yeah. Anyways. Okay. I think it's there. I think it's there. You don't need, 
a 27 hour course on uh, ensuring you have right co-contraction mechanisms of your diaphragm to, uh, to get people to move in fitness. Okay. No secret sauce there. You know what you can do? You can just uh, learn how to pick things up when you're young and carry them. So this leads to play another- trees, Play in trees, rough house, run around, get dirty. You're going to do all those patterns. And then as an adult, you can keep it as a ritual um, of all those patterns in nature. I just keep thinking about natural components without the global gym, you know, to our point on like, well, what is, what was uh, considered even was unconscious uh, recreational leisure, natural pursuits of physicality in uh, 875 AD, right? Um, there actually is literature on this as to what that looked like. Right. But, uh, you know, what was there, you know, and what was there? And I, I call it, it's an unconscious method of physicality, um, because people probably, you know, figured out like, we think we have the secret sauce to, but they figured out probably a long time ago, they just didn't have language for it. Pushing, pulling, lunging. I'm sure someone talked about it. No one wrote about it. Actually, I'm sure if you were look really hard in Billy Shakespeare's stuff, there's, there's something in there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, it's not the main thing taught about Aristotle, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he was a, a biologist, what we would today call a biologist in a whole number of different ways. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some element to that. Yeah. Um, another philosophical follow-up question on that point, um, you know, with regard to roughhouse and climb and move around is, you know, philosophers, one of, probably one of the most central questions philosophers ask with regard to politics or morality or knowledge is what's the difference between us and the animals? Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, animals obviously have certain patterns innate within them uh, that they express. In your minds, um, is there anything unique to the practice of fitness or that should be unique to the practices of fitness for humans? Is it the fact that we can reflect upon it or improves our mental acuity or like what, what separates, I guess, what would be the practice of fitness that humans engage in when they are expressing these innate motor patterns from the practice of animals or is, is there a difference? Should there be a difference? Yeah. I think on a really basic level, it's probably just, uh, what we, I guess, where we can, we call, uh, you know, uh, consciousness today or a, uh, that, that's would be the separator really of, of uh, some of the basic things that I think about, meaning uh, the decisions to have the conversation around what it is like to be a bat. <laughs> we, can, we can have that conversation, you know, like, I don't know why I find it humorous, but we could like, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just find it humorous. And uh, I think it's, it sounds humorous, but that, that's the intricate difference, I think, is, the, uh, is uh, for whatever reason, which is kind of a good, it's a good place to uh, do some readings on, right? What, what the separation and was there a separation between, you know, all of us being classified in animals and then some kind of shift occurrence based upon that um, and evolution. Um, and I think it's that it's to be able to uh, even cognitively have the repertoires available to think about these things, you know, like, um, and ironically, it, we can, you know, with all that raised cognitive ability, 
it actually makes us crazy around these basic things that are very similar to animal processes. You know, so I think the only thing that's separation there is the ability to have the conversation around uh, the differences. That's very meta. It's. (laughs) I guess one of the other things I'm wondering about is, you know, one of the other things that's uniquely human is, I mean, well, they're proto versions, obviously, in other animals, but tools. Yeah. Um, And, you know, humans have this ability to make tools, which today look like treadmills and barbells and dumbbells. And so I I just, I I wonder about that to what extent, you know, obviously we share with animals, this ability, we have motor patterns that we then express, but as humans, we also have this ability to create tools to engage in fitness in different ways. And is that just superfluous or extra or misguided, or is that? No, I think there's primal. I think it does go back to primal pieces. If you, if you were just to interject, you know, axe and spear with like a wood chopper on a pulley system. Again, it goes back to the intentions of doing the movement, right? So the, the wood chopper is folly because you're actually not chopping wood to put fire in your home to keep your kids safe and to allow you to make food so you can survive and reproduce, right? But there was a time where you actually had to swing that thing that you created numerous times. So do you see what I'm saying? You're not, you're not like, oh, that was, that was my 18th rep at 10XO. You didn't say this 6,000 years ago, but you still did 1,000 reps every third day. Do you know what I mean? So the tools, yeah. You know, I think we've created these tools, but there still has to be some of that conversation on the intention and the act inside of that. And I'd like to see fitness move more towards that. It's just not a well-accepted notion today of this visualization, right? Of these patterns, uh, you do them because you're able and because it's for you, right? And I just don't think a lot of people, you know, for good reason, um, are not there yet to have that conversation. Yeah. So tools, great point. Yeah, the, we, we have, that is a big differentiator because we've created these tools. Um, and why did we create tools in the past? What was the main reason behind creating tools? is to prepare food, is to build shelters, is to uh, capture animals, right? Is to fuel ourselves with the right. environment, what's around us, so. And now we exist in a state where we don't necessarily, the vast majority of us don't need those types of tools on a daily basis. So we've created tools for other things. Yes. Curls and for thrusters and for- Yes, things. which they're still, you know, it's still a wood chopper, you know what I'm saying? It's still a wood chopper movement, but the intentions are all wrong, in my opinion. Right. And to my point, we discussed, I think that's a futile process until some over time. And this is where you and I, or you, not, not that there's no disagreement there, but that you've asked me a question about this before. Isn't it just possible unconsciously people can get to it? They can just like unconsciously keep practicing and all of a sudden over time it's like, ah, you know, I get it. I don't think that's the case in most cases. I think it's a futile attempt if you're just doing exercise without some conversation on intentions. There has to be a connection. Yeah, and you're you're saying that more on the note, more in regards to like if someone is just independently working out on their own, they won't just magically come to that notion. 
or you're saying it even with even with a coach having that discussion uh well well maybe both i'm just saying if the i'm assuming then the coach doesn't have the knowledge either right the 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 client over time just even in their practices if every waking moment of all their flow zone they're in when they're doing wood choppers if they don't get to the point of the awareness of that being folly then it's futile all of it the whole thing is futile attempts um, and then, you know, you're entering into, well, what do you consider success? And what do you consider longevity? You know, it's like, well, that's a whole separate thing that we've actually covered before. So you can go back to those previous episodes. Check that out. <laughs> Thinking bio. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that was a good discussion for today. And yeah, uh, I also think we did a good job of setting up the uh, not touching on experience too much, which is kind of good. Yeah. Cause yeah, that, I think there's that, lots of. I- that I imagine is going to be a big one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm hoping we can hit on uh, a lot of the stuff we've previously discussed before. Of some of the challenges with that is like, is well, how do we ever get to that point if there's not experience, right? Those are the, those are the, or with the with the with the amount of experience, I should say, like how many times and repetition and all that experience does it need to really get to quality prescriptions and therefore quality knowledge. And, you know, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, the question I'm almost left with after today is, uh, I mean, it, it almost did a switch back to the innate stuff, right? Where if we're saying the innate stuff is sufficient for true fitness experience or for, you know, a, a true um, fitness program or something like that you know, how much is experience really necessary? I mean, it's, it's necessary maybe as a refinement of little things of like, Oh, I'm, I'm walking better by doing this or I'm lifting better by doing X, Y, or Z, but yeah, really it's the innate stuff driving the boat and uh, experience is just there to give subtle refinements to what is innate within us. If I'm understanding what you were saying before correctly. Yes. And so I'm glad you finished with that. So hopefully you can remember that setting us up for the next one. Cause uh, that is a good area, a good, uh, a good place for us to have some challenge. Um, yeah. And I think I want to color the next one as well with context around uh, what progression means that has to be inside of it, you know? Um, Cause you know how it can just fall flat of like, well, <laughs> what are you defining as consistency? What is inside that consistency that leads to experience, right? right. Well, it's not just the same thing all the time because we have these, uh, overriding things of adaptation and, and, uh, this dare I say the will to be challenged. That's something more than what we did previously experience, right? So experience is not just check, check, check. check. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we'll discuss the context of what challenge and progression is inside of that too. Awesome. Yeah. Super duper. Uh, Thanks for that. I previously, you know, offline, those didn't know that, but uh, I had some uh, subsequently some things that I needed some clearing up with today on um, ironically on the knowledge of this topic and uh, you helped clear those up. So I appreciate that. Um, You also, I wrote down some notes. Whenever I write notes down from this, it always leads to some good learning for myself. So I appreciate that. Uh, some things I can think about. Yeah. And I, I appreciate, yeah, the, uh, 
the points you raised today just about I, I I'm getting an even clearer picture about you know I, I had a good sense of what your view was before but I mean it's uh it's becoming clearer and clearer and just the role that experience plays versus innate stuff and I guess to a certain extent what we're saying is fitness biology is really sufficient for things and fitness culture is uh folly yes yeah which is what i'm why i'm looking forward to that topic over time and where that fits in you know because there's a lot of things that are already there but hey what else are we going to do if we're not going to discuss those things you know right yeah we need to get james from 2008 <laughs> on on the podcast yeah yeah i'm I sure time traveling I'm sure there's some recordings. We just like embed it, you know, and then come back to current. We could do it. Yeah. The time travel episode. Yeah. Yeah. And then everyone in the future in 2199 will really be like, oh, remember that one? Those yeah. guys, that was a great one. They hit it out of the park on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were actually the first instance of time travel in human history. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they'll be uh, quoting us like we do with Orwell today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All righty. All right. Well, thank you thank again, you so James. Much. Um, I'll send this over. Cool. Thanks for everything. Take care. All right. Have a great weekend.